I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, talking transfer pricing is interesting, but it's especially so when you get a first-person perspective on things, and that's why I'm so excited about today's show. We have Matthew Cole, the tax director of Vila Software Group, with us today, and since he has joined us on one of our educational transfer pricing summits, okay, they may be more fun than educational, but still, I can tell you firsthand the guy is smart, stylish, and has a smooth way about him. Basically, he's the kind of guy you'd love to hate, but you can't because he's just so cool. Vila is an operating group of Constellation Software Incorporated in Toronto. And boy, is this guy busy. Transfer pricing through mergers and acquisitions. Check. Working with IP. Check. Losses due to COVID-19. Check. Well, why don't we let him tell you himself? A few points before we get going. You can earn CPE credits from listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words in the show. Email all three to all one word. The Fiona Show at xbs.ai, and we'll send you your certificate. Now let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Pricing is changing every day, even in the Ukraine. On May 21st, the president signed a new tax code into law. And what do you know? There are more transfer pricing compliance requirements. Let's start with the obvious, shall we? The master file, local file, and CBC report are now officially mandatory. But wait, there's more. You'll also need to submit a notification saying that you're part of a multinational group. Incidentally, the first is due in 2021. And we hope you're conducting cross-border intercompany business for sound business purposes because tax authorities will be on the lookout for those conveniently arranged for tax purposes. But then we know you would never do that. When it comes to transfer pricing, India offers a lot of ambiguity. How should income be characterized? What constitutes a permanent establishment? Which income should be allocated to India and which should go elsewhere? Well, with so many questionable calls, one thing you want solidified is dispute resolution procedures. Let's face it, there's a lot to dispute over here. Even India agrees. That's why on May 6th, the country amended the tax rules relating to cross-border disputes under the Mutual Agreement Procedures, or as we dub it, MAP. Before the amendments, India's MAP rules didn't include a timeline for resolution. Now the government says you have 24 months. Another guideline, communicate. Well, okay, that's not how the government says it exactly, but that's the premise. The government wants to be sure the competent authority calls for relevant documents and speaks to tax authorities and taxpayers about why the case doesn't comply with tax treaties. And to think, we wrapped all that up with communicate. Are we smart or what? Next, when the competent authority analysts reach a resolution, they must tell the taxpayer and the taxpayer must accept or reject it within 30 days. Of course, the 24-month timeline is a recommendation and it's not binding. Still, it's expected to speed up the resolution process, which is good because so far, we haven't heard of India making any promises to be more definitive about things. What does the future hold for country-by-country country reporting? That seems to be the question the world is asking and the OECD is trying to answer. In fact, the group just wrapped a two-day public consultation on the topic via video conference, thank you, COVID-19, and the topics at hand were, should the reports be public? Is more information necessary? Is different information required? And what about the thresholds? Should they be changed? The OECD is discussing the possibility of including more details 
details on key business functions and a new table for extra data. Just what you needed, right? Multinational companies aren't exactly enthusiastic about the changes. Many have put systems in place for addressing CBC reports, and if the requirements change, those processes will have to change too. Even worse, if the reports favor simple business models, some companies may have to restructure altogether. Why, oh why, can't things just stay the same? A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. So tell us how you got into transfer pricing, Matt. In university, I applied to every single accounting firm that, that I could think of. For some reason, I really wanted to be an accountant, and I got a job at Deloitte. And when I was looking where to work at Deloitte, I thought tax sounded sexy, and I decided to get into tax because the options were tax or audit. And then once I in tax, I initially was in corporate tax and M&A. And then now that I've moved into industry, one of my responsibilities has been transfer pricing. So that's kind of how I, I got into transfer pricing. It wasn't, I never did it at the firms, but I did it now. I do it now that I'm at the in industry. I got to say, you're the first person outside of our sales team to describe any part of tax as sexy. And I think that's what makes you an ideal guest for our program. Uh, but well, well, initially, I, ha I had to pick which part of tax. And they yeah. gave me the options. There was transfer pricing. There was corporate tax or M&A. And M&A definitely sounded even sexier <laughs> through tax. I'm I'm not even going to dive dive into why with the with the uh, acronyms, but let's just take as a as an ideological and substantive conceptual way that uh, that M and A sounded particularly interesting. But but turning to transfer pricing, what did you find interesting or dare I say sexy about it? So I, so I find transfer pricing not not my background not being transfer pricing. I think my my biggest issue was, was just kind of the unknown and diving diving into to a job where transfer pricing would would have such a big impact. Constellation Software, the way that we're structured is we're very decentralized. So we we have over we operate in over a hundred different countries. Mm -hmm. We have about six hundred different legal entities, and the majority when we do an acquisition, typically there'll be IP owned in one IP and customer lists will be owned in one country. And then you'll have they'll have multiple limited risk distributors in in other countries. So in Europe, it could be in five or six different countries. So transfer pricing plays such an integral part because we need to make sure that we we have agreements that are in place. 
and everything is, is being, we, we know now that the focus, a lot of tax authorities, their focus is, is on transfer pricing and making sure that uh, transactions are being done correctly and everybody's getting their, their proper tax paid, basically. So so it's just that it's so important in, in, a, in my job today. Right. So it was just kind of not, not coming from a transfer pricing background and, and on day one having to know about transfer pricing. So we definitely rely a lot on our advisors, including cross-border solutions. Um, but it's definitely something that, that I'm getting more knowledgeable about. What would you consider then, since you're such a newcomer to this space in a sense, uh, what do you think is the most challenging part of transfer pricing today? The most challenging part of transfer pricing would be that you're you're trying to follow rules that are so that there's obviously kind of BEPs and, and different rules that are uh, the kind of OECD that govern transactions, but every country still has kind of their own guidelines and own rules. So oper- operating in over 100 countries, um, you need to make sure, obviously, we're, we're predominantly in Canada, so you have to make sure that you're, you're following the Canadian rules, but you also have to make sure that you're following, following every single rules of all the different countries. So that's one of the benefits with, with cross-border solutions and your software and technology is that we're able to look at both sides of all transactions. And, and I think that that's what, that's what definitely keeps me up at night would be uh, just ma- making sure that we're, we're on top of things in, in all the other countries. It might be correct from a Canadian transfer pricing perspective, but it may not be correct from an Australian one, for example. And with so many countries, you know, sharing country by country reports, leveraging off of each other and they're, they're in both sides of the transaction on their own end to, to find and raise red flags for audits. Uh, that definitely keeps a, a lot of folks in this, uh, in this industry up at night. You were with Constellation Software. Now you're a tax director at Vila. Can you tell us a little bit about how your role has changed? Constellation uh, has six main operating business units, and I, I joined Constellation five years ago, where I was working at head office. At head office, we were kind of looking at big picture. We have no operations there. Basically, we're we're like a private equity head office, so we're kind of looking at what's the best for the overall company. So when we do an acquisition, what's the best structure? Our financing structures so that the entire company can can benefit. Yeah, we're publicly traded, so dealing with uh, any tax from a, a public company standpoint. And now moving to Vila, where Vila essentially has 100 operating companies, I'm doing more day-to-day tax operations. So Vila itself has over 100 companies, and, and I'm getting into transfer pricing. Before, I was kind of looking at, I, I would be more coordinating, speaking to the, to the subsidiaries, making sure that they have agreements in place, making sure that transactions are being done correctly. But now actually the one that's doing the agreements and, and making sure if we need a new agreement, I'm speaking with our lawyers. I, I'm the one that's making sure the transactions are, are actually being recorded correctly. I'm getting a lot of general tax questions. So sales tax, U.S. sales tax. I, I never realized that sales tax could be so complex. Uh, but basically, and a lot more acquisitions and due diligence I'm dealing with. For sure, for sure. We we should probably mention that the company is based in Toronto, so you have a lot of experience uh, with the CRA directly. I do. So, so Constellation, we're we're one of the largest software companies in Canada. We publicly trade on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and we build vertical or acquire vertical market software. 
from transit to from running transit to running a mine to a lot of clubs and golf courses use their software. Uh, a wide variety of different software out there. We build some of it, but majority is we, we acquire through acquisitions. We're very decentralized. When, when we buy a company, we continue to let it run autonomously. And we we just build on what, what they do best. Right, right, right. So how would you say your experience at Constellation has prepared you for this new role? At, at Constellation, my, my background was typically Canadian tax compliance and tax accounting. But at Constellation, doing... Now that we've bought all the Canadian companies, no, I'm just kidding. But there's a lot of uh, we, we've acquired a lot of the Canadian, a lot of Canadian companies. We've definitely uh, got, gone into to Europe a lot, Australia, um, US as well. So working at head office, I've definitely gotten been able to broaden my international tax knowledge, uh, including transfer pricing. Um, I know I'm pretty knowledgeable in in US, Australian, European um, tax issues. Uh, and my main my background was Canadian corporate tax, so, so I think it's working in Constellation. It's definitely enabled me to um, to broaden my tax knowledge. The other thing is a, is I've been able to seek the best practices at all the different six business units. Um, working with we have about fifteen people in total in tax, um, but there's three of us at head office, and the rest of them are at the six different subsidiaries. So working with and, and coordinating different tax engagements with the different subsidiaries, like country by country reporting, for example, I, I'm the one that would actually put it together, but I would need to reach out to a lot of subsidiaries to get the information. So I've been able to get a lot of best practices and kind of see where how everybody does stuff, their approach. And then hopefully uh, I'm able to pick the, the best one, the best approaches and be able to use that in my day-to-day job. And it's time for our first CPE code word, and that word is vast, as in the transfer pricing landscape is vast. And back to our conversation. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the background of Vila before you came to the company. So Vila is one of six, one of the six business units of Constellation Software, and they are the newest one. Prior to two years ago, they did not have a tax person, and I was at head office. I was basically doing all their tax. They've grown up to about $450 million in revenue, so now they, they hired a tax person a year and a half ago. That person left, and it, and it only made sense that I, I, would, I would move from head office down to one of the subsidiaries. Um, Constellation likes to do that. If, if they think someone's good at doing their job, then they like when someone's around and going from head office to one of the subs is, is seen as a good thing. So v- Vila uh, buys, they, they are same as Constellation software. They acquire and manage vertical market software companies in all different fields. They have DataMind, who's one of the largest providers of technology for operating mind. They have ERP software um, and they have software for the travel industry, which obviously due to COVID has been impacted a little bit. Uh, of course. So they, they're, they're growing a lot and they, we, we continue to acquire vertical market software. Um, Vila, Vila is interesting because they, a lot of their acquisitions are outside of Canada and North America. So I would say they definitely are one of the subsidiary, constellation subsidiaries that are located in the most countries. And we have, they have over 130 different legal entities that are, that make up view. Very, very interesting. Tell us about your role in terms of transfer pricing therein. 
So as as head of tax, director of tax at Vila, I am technically, I, I wear a lot of different hats and I am the head of transfer pricing for Vila. In my previous role, I was more coordinating transfer pricing, but and I mostly dealt with the actual tax people at the sub that were de- doing transfer pricing, but now I am basically in charge of transfer pricing at Vila. So that would encompass ensuring that our transfer pricing in over the 100 different legal entities are, are being done correctly, uh, managing with cross-border solutions. Uh, when we do a new acquisition, it's making sure that the agreements are, are in place are correct. Um, and if I need to change something up, and then also just kind of due diligence when, I, when I'm looking through and, and looking at a company that we're going to acquire to making sure that they've been dealing with transfer pricing correctly. As I mentioned before, a lot of our, a lot of our acquisitions that we do, and, and Constellation does approximately 100, over 100 year, uh, the way that they're set up is that they have IP, they basically have an IP hub. Sometimes we're going to move, when we do an acquisition, we're going to move IP around. Um, all of it's for business purposes. We, we're not located in any uh, low-tax jurisdictions. Uh, we, we don't really do anything funny at Constellation. Um, everything we do is basically for a business decision. I think tax comes secondary to, to most of our decisions as we, as we want to do the right thing. Um, and definitely we pay, pay the proper amounts of tax. Um, but we're definitely trying, trying to save, save tax where we can. But uh, I think it's just more of uh, looking out when we do an acquisition and seeing where, uh, if they're doing everything correctly, or if there's anything that can be improved with how, how they're set up. Indeed. Now, how big is your tax department and how much time and staff is allocated specifically for transfer pricing? At Vila, I am solo. Uh, I am the only one there, but across Constellation, we have 15 people. Our largest subsidiary has five tax people and our smallest one, and three of them just have, have individual people. Uh, at head office, we also have three people. So at head office, I would say that a lot of time is spent on, on transfer pricing. I would say probably a, a couple months almost. Um, and that would kind of be because you have all the different master files. You, you have Australia, Canada, US, uh, London, uh, England. We do master files in all those different countries. Then we have the overall master file. And now if you include, if you throw in DAC 6 requirements, you throw in uh, your CBC reporting and all the different uh, requirements across the globe, it, there's definitely a lot of time spent. At Vila, I'm probably going to spend a couple months as well. And that's just going to be on things when we do acquisitions, making sure that the agreements that we have are, are correct that are in place. Um, if we need to get new agreements in place, um, documenting everything, and then just uh, making sure that all of our, our transfer pricing documentation is correct and that we respond to all the different country-by-country country reports. Although you're only doing country-by-CDC report, you're only doing one main file, you actually have to file all, all the different countries have notifications as well. So you're basically filing 20 or 30 of these that are essentially notifying them that all these these companies that are subsidiaries of Constellation Software Inc. are going to be filing the main file in Canada for Constellation Software Inc. So there's still a lot of requirements, and, and it's only getting more cumbersome as, as the years go on. I think the, the working countries realize that working together is probably going to benefit them all, um, as opposed to, I think, uh, 10 or 20 years ago, a lot of it was kind of secretive, and, and countries were dealing, were, were going at things on their own. And I think they've realized that they can actually probably benefit by 
everybody implementing certain rules and then they're all getting more access to to data and information from companies indeed and i know we've kind of gone over uh, aspects of your global footprint as we've gone here but give us an idea of the total countries uh, where your company has entities. Constellation Software, we operate in over 100 different countries, uh, predominantly in North America, Europe, uh, which big presence in, in England, Germany, and also Australia. And we've recently got, we've recently acquired some companies in South America, in Brazil, um, and looking at Uruguay, and we definitely look for companies all, all over the globe. That's the big software in Canada for running clubs, um, golf courses, could, could be big in North America. But when you go to Europe, there could be a totally different uh, dominant player. So one of the things we do is, is we look at companies all over. So, so if we're very knowledgeable in a specific field, We'll, we'll then go and look in different geographies and see what's the software that, that's good that's used there. And that's something where, where we could do acquisition. So it, there's definitely, there's, there's millions of vertical market software companies out there um, of all different sizes. So it's definitely, we, we definitely go into, con- countries are definitely not a, uh, uh, are not a hurdle for doing an acquisition for us. Obviously, when we go into a new country, transfer pricing is, is something that we need to look at. And when I do due do diligence, that's something that we, we engage advisors to assist us with and just make sure that they are doing everything correctly. Because again, the transfer pricing rules there could be different from what the OECD rules are, or there could be a slight variation. So it's just making sure that, that we're doing everything correctly. And you mentioned the OECD, but what trends are you noticing from a transfer pricing perspective across that global footprint? So I think that uh, what's happening from a transfer pricing perspective is that countries are definitely working together to get more information. And I think them being able to then use analytics to quantify, to look at different transactions, to look at trends, I think that that's definitely where tax authorities are going. Um, I, I think that just the amount of information that they request this year compared to when I first started five years ago, for example, CBC reporting was not a thing five years ago. It was being discussed, but we definitely didn't have to file it. In 2018, I believe, was the first time we had to file it. And that essentially is a is a schedule that is going to that outlines every single legal, legal entity, the jurisdiction, the responsibilities that it does, if it owns IP, if it's a holding company. And I think that basically making sure that the tax authorities get their correct tax amounts. So I think that uh, definitely just fishing and trying to get as much information as they can and whether they have something in place today to be able to analyze it or if they'll be able to analyze it in a couple of years. I think that that's kind of the main trend of where they're going. Um, in Australia, for example, the documentation that, that's required there is very cumbersome. You need to have your transfer pricing documentation. Then you have to fill out uh, something with all your transactions. That's filled out in, in an Excel document that you, you upload in this Excel document. And I think that that's probably because they then put it into different, put it into their system to run analytics on it. 
Um, you have Europe, which is now bringing in DAC6, which, for example, we, we do a ton of acquisitions. So something with DAC6 is that we need to be reporting on. on trans- we're responsible for transactions because we're buying legal entities that should have been reported under DAC6 pre-us acquiring the entities. So it's definitely something that we now need to focus on, and, and we're spending a lot more time on it. Indeed. And to ask just insider out of those trends that you're seeing, um, what are your main concerns? What's keeping you up at night about transfer pricing documentation? I think transfer pricing as a whole is what's keeping me up at night. It's definitely being, being so decentralized. We're located in a hundred different countries and I'm the one tax person and I'm located in Canada. I've never actually gone on a, I've never visited 99% of these companies or these countries that we're located in for, for a business purpose. So as much as I can ask them and, and tell them and, and get, uh, give them agreements that we need to do, I don't actually know if they're, if they're doing these and implementing them. Um, I can, I can look at things after the fact, but w- when they're actually recording transactions, when they're doing intercompany transactions, I, I don't I don't see what's going on on the ground. So it's definitely something just not just not knowing that they're they're listening to me reading my emails and following the guidelines that were given them from head office is probably what keeps me up at night. And I think that one of one of our we're just very decentralized and I think that that's kind of one of the mantra of Constellation Software. We don't centralize finance, we don't centralize anything. I, I think maybe tax and legal would be the only things that are that are quasi centralized but other than that it's it's decentralization is our mantra so i I like to think that everybody is is listening and doing it all correct but it's something that definitely keeps me up at night the good thing about consolation is that because we have over a hundred different countries and we have about 500 different legal entities um the the actual sizes of our individual companies are are not are not huge the average one would probably be a revenue of let's say five to ten million um, so, so if one were to be doing something incorrectly, uh, the actual size of it would, would not be large. So it's definitely something where, where I, I may stay up at night because of, because of this, but it's something that, that I can definitely also go to sleep with because of the fact that we, I, I think we have smart people that work in Constellation. They are following things. And worst case, I think that uh, because we're, we're so spread out that the actual, uh, an actual issue, I don't think would be that large. And, and just to interrupt very quickly to ask Fiona, Fiona, what do you advise clients about in terms of transfer pricing documentation? Great question, Matt. As you know, transfer pricing compliance is a hyperlocal exercise. And the first rule of thumb is to make sure you're complying with the tax authorities in each jurisdiction where you operate. Make sure you are delivering the information they want, the way they want it. If a jurisdiction requires local benchmarks, provide local benchmarks. If the documentation must be prepared in a local language, translate. Incidentally, I can help with that. If documentation must be organized a certain way, do it. It sounds so simple. But you'd be surprised at how many MNEs disregard local regulations and regret it later. So we know this means some sleepless nights for you. You were telling us about the impact on the team, but but what does this mean for how that team operates? Have you guys undergone through any major changes in how the tax team operates given these challenges of transfer pricing in the OECD? 
So we definitely haven't gotten to the point where we've hired a transfer pricing specialist. And I know a lot of companies do have transfer pricing specialists where essentially their entire job is year-round of transfer pricing. But when we look at hiring someone, it's definitely important to know that they do have some background in transfer pricing because obviously that is going to be a part of their job. I think 10 years ago, it would have been more of an afterthought and you wouldn't necessarily look for that. And you would think that someone could just get up to speed while working on the job. But transfer pricing is definitely a lot of time is spent on transfer pricing. So it's definitely something that, that we look at when, when we're hiring someone. And I think it's just kind of the opportunity cost. So now that someone's having to spend a month or two months of the year working on transfer pricing, it's what other work can they not do? So a lot of the time now it's just gotten that we need to hire additional people. Outside of transfer pricing, you have compliance that's that's taken uh that's gotten a lot more cumbersome. You have a lot more of the compliance side, including transfer pricing, um, that people are spending their time on. So it's just expanding our tax group. When I first started, there were maybe eight or nine people in tax, and now we we've have about 15 or 16 that are that are in tax. So it's definitely uh, people are spending more time on transfer pricing and just getting more involved in those type of transactions that are taking place. How would you say Constellation or the tax department has adjusted to the increased scrutiny that's gone up over the last few years? So when I first started the company, I think that our documentation was a little lax and it's definitely now that we're, we grow every single year and we're getting more on, on the radar of tax authorities. It's definitely making sure that we have good documentation in place. And I think that that's kind of the one thing that we've definitely adapted to, whether it be our agreements for royalty payments or for R&D services that are being performed, or if it's just kind of doing a capital contribution, anything like that, documentation is key. And that's definitely something that our tax department has pushed throughout the entire company. And I think that it's just all of us now have a lot more experience when it comes to tax tax audits and, and tax planning and just making sure that we, we think of transfer pricing when we're making all our decisions. You have a number of entities in EU countries. What are some of the ways that you're preparing for DOC 6? So I think preparing for DAC 6 is just educating our subsidiaries and the finance people in each of the groups because I, I don't see every single transaction that occurs. None of us in tax at Constellation do. So it's just making sure that we educate them so that they know what's reportable and then we know what we need to report. And again, that's something that definitely keeps me up at night. And it's just because I, I don't see everything that goes on. So we, we need to make sure that all of our finance people know what, what needs to be reportable. And we will definitely take advantage of this three-month extension. And you never know. It could be more than three months. We'll find out soon. And just to ask Fiona once again, Fiona, do you have any updates on Doc 6 for us? Why, yes, I do, Matt. The EU Commission has proposed pushing back Doc 6 deadlines due to the coronavirus pandemic. For instance, the EU has suggested changing the July 1, 2020 deadline to October 1, 2020. And it's changed the dates of the historical reporting arrangements from June 25, 2018 to June 30, 2020 and from August 31, 2020 to November 30, 2020. The exchange of information dates would change from October 31, 2020 to January 31, 2021. And now a word from your friends and mine at Cross Border Solutions. 
Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Just given the nature of the business and so many acquisitions so quickly, have you been through any audit experiences in that time? I have been through a lot of audit experiences. So one one of the beauties, one of the best things about Constellation is that because we're so decentralized and we have so many different legal entities, a lot of the time we were we're not on the radar of the tax authorities. But now that we've done a lot more acquisitions, we're definitely getting more on the radar. Uh, Australia, for example, we there we essentially file a consolidated return, and the U.S. as well. So they look at everything as a whole. So in Australia and the U.S., we've definitely gone through a bunch of audits. Um, in Canada as well, now that we just have gotten larger and our, our companies that we buy grow as well. So it's definitely something that we've, we, we get a bunch of audits from. But again, our, our standalone entities aren't, aren't that large. And for example, Constellation, we don't actually have any revenue at Constellation other than management fees. So our, our audits are pretty are, are not that complex. We, we don't really do that much tax planning from, from the sense that because we're so decentralized and we're, we're set up with so many different legal entities, there isn't really that much that we can, we can take advantage of. So we, we do undergo a lot of audits, but we, we typically don't really have any, any assessment. And even just for, for those experiences, given that advantage of being decentralized, take us through one of at least one of the audits. What was that experience like? What kinds of paperwork reports did you have to prepare, produce? So I think being centralized was is, is a great thing when it comes to audits because the actual companies are small. But then I think one of our, our one of the biggest issues is is paperwork and actual and documentation. I think I said it before, but documentation is key. So uh, we've had my my predecessor. I, I moved over four years ago, and, and the trend with uh, with auditing is that they're really far behind on audits. So Canada, for example, right now they just finished up their 2012 and 2013 audits of Constellation. They've now moved to 2016. So 2016, luckily, I, I was there, so I know all the questions and I, and I can find them easily. But trying to find from 2012 and 2013, if they ask a, a specific question on why something was done, a lot of the time we don't necessarily have the documentation. And whether that's just because it was on the person's computer before I joined, if there was never the documentation for it, um, I, I don't know. So it's just kind of trying to figure it all out. It's almost like a puzzle. And me, I get these questions. I wasn't there. So it's me trying to figure out exactly what, 
what the answers are. So a lot of the time they'll reach out. And again, the information beyond it is from something that happened a long time ago. They'll have an initial information request. They'll learn a little bit about our company. They'll come and meet us. We'll, we'll respond to some questions. And typically, they the audit ends after that. A lot of the time, again, we don't really take many aggressive stances when, when we do tax planning. So there isn't really that much for them to look at. Typically, they might find one or two minor adjustments. And in that case, we, we would just agree to them. And there aren't really many issues. One thing that they definitely are, are look look more into is just kind of valuations. So one thing we do is that we, if we acquire a company and they're in Australia, for example, there can be tax depreciable. You get a step up when it joins a consolidated group. So it's kind of looking at the valuations that you place for your your customer list or your intang- intangible IP. Um, same as in the U.S. as well. You get uh, deduction and in Canada also. So it's just making sure that you're using the correct um models for coming up with your IP if you're using a third party to, to verify them. And then interest rates as well. There's financing structures and it's something that we do use a consolation. And essentially we have one that's in Hungary and in Hungary is taxed at 10% any interest revenue. And then we get a deduction in in different jurisdictions at whatever the statutory rate is. So we technically so we get a, a 15 or 16% uh, benefit if you're looking at the U.S. So how we, we then have to, the interest is you, we use a firm to come up with what the interest rate is going to be. And that's something that's definitely looked at by the authorities. And they definitely investigate that. And typically, whatever rate we, we come up with, and we always come up with it from a, a firm, so it's not something that we're doing internally, typically the, the tax authorities will always come up with a uh, a rate that's a little bit lower, or they'll come up with a rate that's a lot lower, and then they'll come up and then say, uh, okay, we, we can meet in the middle. And it's definitely something that uh, regardless of how much work we get done by uh, by another, by a firm and, and validate this interest rate, it's definitely something that they're, they're going to audit and, and take a look at more closely. So uh, you mentioned those those adjustments that ended up occurring from this series of audits. How costly were those? We, we've been lucky and we haven't really had much. We're talking one was an FX adjustment that's maybe $100,000 in tax payable. Um, a couple things with return of capitals. We, we've been pretty good where by taking a very conservative approach when we do our filings, that typically if there were to be an adjustment, it's not very costly. The other thing is that because we're so decentralized and we have so many different legal entities, again, if there were to be a, a large issue, and I use quotations when I say a large issue, a large issue in one of our subsidiaries, the company might only have revenue of two, $3 million. So even a large issue to that, when we're looking at consolation as a whole, that has um, revenue of three and a half billion dollars, it's really only gonna probably be a couple hundred thousand dollars, which obviously is a lot of money and we don't like to, to pay any amount of money, but it, it's not a huge issue, which is kind of one of the benefits of being decentralized with, with consolation. But I think with audits also being in so many different countries, it's making sure that we're on top of things. So we could get a, a request for, for an audit to start in, in Germany, for example, but if the finance person doesn't inform me, inform me of this, then 
it, it could go unanswered and then they could end up just assessing us kind of an arbitrary amount based on something that they found. So it's just keeping track and making sure that they're reaching out to me, telling me about the ongoing audits. Then if, if I need to, I'm then speaking with the eternal, external advisors. So from the tax compliance perspective, uh, we take care of in-house of all our North America filings. So we do our U.S. filings and our Canadian filings. But outside of that, I don't have the expertise. I also don't speak a lot of different languages. So we rely on external advisors to be filing all of our all of our tax returns. And this is something that's mostly coordinated by the actual finance people in, in the different groups. So it's just making sure that there are, if there is an issue with an audit, so that I, I get informed about it, that I, I would reach out to the advisors and then ask them and go through them. And again, there's different there's different rules all over the globe, right, when it comes to tax returns. So it's just making sure that something, something might be a rule in Canada, but it might not be how something's treated in different countries. So it's just making sure that we're responding. And the other thing is I, I like to provide the auditors with a lot of information. I don't think we have anything at all to hide in consolation. And again, we don't typically take aggressive approaches when we're doing our tax planning. So it's it's something that I, I like to give them all the information they ask for. I don't I don't hide anything. I think that approach helps out a lot, and I think that it gains some trust of the auditors, and that's why I typically have a very good relationship with them. I like to throw in a couple jokes. Hopefully, they're not listening. And then uh, they're always we joke around a little bit, and then I find that they're on my good side. <laughs> uh, for this client series, though, you're the first uh, person that we're talking to. I knew this would inevitably happen, but um, on an episode we had with Barbara Montagani, she described one of the biggest challenges that folks in TP can go through is, uh, quote unquote, being the new Bob which is replacing somebody or even filling in just a set of shoes at an organization where they didn't have that filled before and having to kind of, you know, clean house uh, when when it comes to transfer pricing uh, for their own terms. Just tell us a little bit about that experience and and what you learned, maybe advice you'd, you'd pass on to other new Bobs. So one one thing that's I think that's helped me out a lot of consolation is that the individuals that were in my position before were were pretty good with with documenting things and keeping emails and different rationales for for doing things, documenting it and keeping them in in easy to find folders. Um, working with so many different companies, though, there's definitely and in so many different countries, there's a, a large learning curve. I've definitely been able to take advantage of the different transfer pricing, learning and growth sessions that cross-border solutions offers and the other firms offer. And it's just probably trying to get as much information on transfer pricing that I can get. And also learning everything I can about the company. Um, when I move to Vila, I, I'm going to be setting up uh, different calls calls now because of COVID, but I would be visiting with the different finance people and just understanding about how the company works. They, they could be doing something that's in place right now that may not actually, from a transfer pricing standpoint, make the most sense or be the best benefit for Constellation as a whole. So it's definitely kind of learning, speaking with people and getting a sense of what the, what's going on in the companies and what's happening. And again, the decentralization model is something that it definitely makes my life a little harder. And it's just because we have a hundred different finance people for all the different companies. So it's making sure that, I, that I'm speaking with a lot of them 
And I think that it's just uh, having good communication with them. So if new things come up, it's making sure that I'm a, I'm a trusting source for them, that they can come to me if they have questions and making sure that if there were issues or if there are issues, it's making sure that they come and talk to me about them. But I think the biggest thing is just uh, have an open communication with your finance people and make sure that they involve you, involve you in all the decisions. I think that in prior to, to me joining, there wasn't really, there wasn't a tax person. Um, so a lot of these things, they, they may have had tax questions, but they didn't necessarily want to incur a, incur fees by going to a, a service provider. So a lot of things might've gone unanswered. So having a tax person, I, I think is definitely very beneficial for them. And it makes sure that a lot of things we look at. You were mentioning COVID-19 before in the impact. We, we kind of lightly touched on that. Um, but many multinational companies are dealing with issues resulting from the pandemic. Has social distancing or travel bans had an impact on Vila? Constellation operates in a wide variety of industries. So healthcare, for example, that's something that obviously is not taken a hit from COVID. We operate in a lot of in we operate in a lot of utilities as well. And that's something that definitely hasn't been impacted from COVID. We also operate in clubs in the club industry, and that's definitely something that's been impacted. But I think the way that our, our business works is that we grow the companies that we operate, but then we also buy and acquire a lot of companies every single year. So it's definitely been a transition going from when, when we would have people traveling to, to the different countries to do due diligence, meet with the prospects. That's something that's now all being done on, all being done via web conference. A lot of what we do also is buying, buying companies and typically we would travel and do due diligence and meet with the prospects and the vendors. And that's something that we're obviously not able to do. So we've definitely gotten adjusted to working remotely. I've, it's easy for me in tax working remotely just because of the lot typically being located in a hundred different countries. It's, I, it doesn't really matter where, where I am working. So for me, it's, it's just uh, having to deal with my kids at the same time and making sure that they're entertained and not not screaming while I'm on calls. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely been a transition. I think something that we will take away though from this is that it'll be easier for people to do business and, and travel costs are going to be reduced and people are going to realize that you don't necessarily have to be in person. The other thing is obviously just trusting your employees. I think that it 20 years ago, everybody worked in an office. I think five years ago, you had a transition where there would be less and less people in an office. But I think that it was always still better to be in an office. And I think now people are going to realize that the job will get done. I, I sometimes do like working in an office more than, than working from home, just because I like the routine of, of going to the office and seeing my colleagues. But I, I think that going forward, it's going to be a couple of days at home will, will not be the end of the world. We have not been impacted that much at Constellation, and I think that's just with the wide variety of industries that we operate in, where we have some some industries that continue to be needed, and then some that get impacted, but overall it ends up uh, not being that big of, a, of an issue for us. Right. I think it was uh, Twitter might have yesterday, or at least earlier this week, announced that their employees can work from home if they want to in perpetuity 
when even when COVID clears up. So maybe as we come to understand the differing advantages, disadvantages of, of work from home, you know, work from offices, maybe, you know, a lot of companies, individuals even might find a nice in between. I think that's that kind of speaks to the covid experience universally of of, you know, this hasn't been necessary. It's, it's been a terrible death toll. Let's be very, very clear about that. This is an undeniable tragedy um, being forced into quarantine, however, it has I think given people a lot of time to reflect on where and how they work best, whether that is in isolation to some extent or in a more collaborative setting. I, I would definitely agree, agree with that. I think that there's definitely going to be a lot of lessons that can be learned from, from this. And I think a lot of it's going to continue going forward. And I think it'll probably just help out, help with companies. Uh, if you think about it, companies are probably going to save money on travel expenses. They're going to save money on not necessarily needing as many offices. Um, also, I think one of the biggest things is just kind of meetings that need to happen. I feel like sometimes you might have had some meetings that didn't necessarily need to happen or meetings that lasted a lot longer than they should have. And I think with uh, on video conference, it's something that... Uh, People are more to the point and they have the meeting or if a meeting doesn't need to take place, they don't have the meeting. Right, right, right. Uh, we, we, we've taken more of a minimalist perspective uh, on interfacing uh, writ large. I think I think that's predicated for sure. Um, just on all things COVID, um, is there anything you're bookmarking even in your brain or, or y y setting aside even on your desk, so to speak, in terms of transfer pricing documentation 2020 and beyond? So definitely with COVID, not, not being in the office, it's definitely made things a little more interesting. And when you have certain things like DAC6 that are coming in and the difference, the new trend of the government's getting more uh, cumbersome when it comes to transfer pricing, it's definitely been interesting trying to keep keep up with things. A lot of the time we would probably have had a, a session an in-person session with a firm, right, to, to kind of explain different things. But now tr trying to have a four or five hour uh, Zoom call is not something we have tried to do. Um, same as just how uh, a lot of like tax executive institute, for example, they, they put on different uh, information sessions. So it, they all of these have been canceled. So it's definitely uh, trying to stay on top of, of everything and the new rules is something that is a lot tougher because of COVID. Um, but at the end of the day, our, our business is, has not been severely impacted. Um, definitely maybe cash flow as some companies try to conserve their cash. Um, but because we're in such a wide variety of industries and we have some industries that are doing well right now, um, it's definitely something that luckily has not drastically impacted our business. Um, acquisitions are, are definitely interesting just because we do a lot of acquisitions. So that's making, making sure that when we do the acquisition, because we're not going to be there in person, it's making sure that we, we do have web calls. We have online calls with, with our potential entities that we're acquiring and making sure that we talk about transfer pricing and any other tax issues that there are. 
And it's time for our third CPE code word, and that word is unexpected, as in you might say a global pandemic was unexpected. And let's let's ask a, a specific question here based on you know what we know about Vila and, and Constellation and knowing we don't have uh, an opportunity every day to talk to somebody who's gone through so many audits. But let's say um, you know, you're another transfer pricing or you're talking to another transfer pricing professional at a multinational going through audits. Audits, what advice would you give them? Documentation, document everything. And I say that without hesitation because that's something that I think has been the hardest thing. And I think that a lot of the time, the uh, going through tax audits, they're just looking for documentation and why you did something. And the same is with transfer pricing. Why did you choose, why did you use a 10% royalty rate? Why did you use a 5% royalty royalty rate? If you don't have documentation, it's very easy for them to do their own calculation and come up with a rate that they think would be considered reasonable. And chances are the rate is always going to be lower, uh, is going to benefit them and have the most tax. So I think documentation is, is the biggest thing. And I think that that's something that we definitely are we, we take very seriously constellation now, and it's making sure everything gets get documented. Documented. Um, it, it's it's pretty easy when you're actually dealing with an auditor, and all they ask for is documentation on why this was done, and then you provide it to them, and it's as if they then just check it off and say, okay, that that's reasonable. But then when you don't have documentation, it definitely it leads to a lot more issues. They question how you came up with the numbers. And it's something that in our past audits, we've definitely had a lot of issues with. Right. It, it reminds me of that old saying from the FBI, if you didn't write it down, then it might as well have not have happened. Well, if you don't have it documented in your transfer pricing documentation to tax authorities, you, that's absolutely what you can get audited for. Exactly. And then and then the other thing is obviously making sure that you you go through all your documentation that you do have and all your transfer pricing and contemporaneous documentation when you're done, because you obviously, you're not hiding anything obviously, but you want to make sure that it's correctly stating what's occurring. And the last thing you would want is you, you quickly glance over the last five pages. Some of our contemporaneous documentation could be 150 or 170 pages. So you glance over the last paragraph or, or don't really look at it because you've already read over 130 different pages. And then in that last paragraph, it might say something that wasn't actually occur- that didn't actually occur. And again, because we're so decentralized, a lot of the way that our contemporaneous documentation works is that we'll have you guys, for example, you'll actually reach out and get a lot of the information directly from some of our finance folks. And you're interpreting sometimes what it, what's occurring in the transaction if they don't necessarily give you the full details or if they leave something out. Or again, a lot of the time, they may not actually know what's occurring in the transaction. So there could be something that gets uh, written down incorrectly. And if you then don't look at it and make sure and verify that everything is done as written correctly, you could then not really think about this. And then five years down the road, when you're getting audited, they may come back and say, hey, wait a second, why is this stated this way in the transfer pricing documentation? And then I'm going to think back to five years ago, to past Matthew, and say, why did I not read that last page of the 130 pages? So I think documentation is key, but then also making sure that the documentation is correct and has everything in it that that you want the authorities to know and that it's done correctly. What would you say are your biggest concerns for the immediate future? 
my biggest concerns for the immediate future would be just the way the trend of the tax authorities and how they are all getting a lot more aggressive in their audits. Again, I, I don't think the consolation does. We're, we're pretty conservative when we do our tax planning, but there's just a lot more time that's having to be spent on your transfer pricing documentation, dealing with tax authorities, dealing with all the different requirements out there. And I think part, part of the thing that bugs me most about this is that the reason they're doing this is because you do have companies that take advantage. Um, you have companies that are operating that set up IP in low tax jurisdictions so that it's not getting taxed or it's getting taxed at a low rate, even though they shouldn't be because they don't have proper subsidies. You have a lot of companies out there that are taking advantage of, of the different of different countries and tax rules. And I think that's the reason why the authorities are getting more aggressive in their approach to to auditing companies. And as a company that is is very conservative and very good when, when we come to our tax planning, at, at Consolation, we, we definitely don't do any aggressive tax planning. And I think that that's just something that uh, comes from our, our CEO. And it's something that we've always done. And we've never really taken advantage of any, any we've never done aggressive tax planning. So us having to abide by all these different rules and have all this different documentation is something that's being done because of the companies out there that are taking advantage. Now, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with, uh, with doing smart tax planning. Um, that's something that we definitely do a constellation. But I think that it's tough having to deal with all the different auditors and everybody that's out there thinking that companies are all out there to save a buck and, and they're using tax to do it. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. before we wrap up, we do this really fun, rapid fire round of questions we call what we want to know with a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat. And today, uh, that expert is you, Matt. And for question one of this lightning round, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> you have been chosen. Uh, what are the management strategies that you rely on most? Friendly. I, I like to. Uh, I think people work best if you're if you're nice and friendly. Be open, be kind, and and everything else will fall into place. And how would you say you handle your? We we bleep this out, but uh, how do you handle your shit hit the fan moments? Sometimes you can hear me screaming in in my office or or banging <laughs> something or talking to myself. Uh, not the best when it comes to that, but typically I try to keep my voice down and and, and not let people hear me. And uh, it, it, I, I would say too, I'm a big I'm a big self talker. 
that that I often find that therapeutic. Hi, highly highly recommend if if no one's tried it yet. Always have that conversation with yourself. Uh, for the for the next question, fill in the blank. If I weren't a transfer pricing rock star, I'd be a dream job. I'd be a producer. Recently, I, I've taken a liking to TikTok, and I have a lot of fun making different videos. They're quite unique. That's what they call fo- uh, video makers on TikTok. They call them producers. I don't know. I think that that's <laughs> one of the things with TikTok is that it's, okay. it's typically for young. It's for younger people. So I think that's my uh, my old person talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll say I'm 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 33, and it, and it like when I use TikTok, it reminds me of my dad describing Nirvana, like hearing Nirvana for the first time. That's when he knew music was too loud and he was too old. <laughs> That's how I, I feel I posted, about TikTok. I, I posted one thing, and someone caught, made a comment of a boomer, and I was thinking, I'm only 35. I'm not even close to a boomer, but oh, I'm man. definitely way too old to be to be on TikTok. Um. If you if you were in high school at the turn of the century or, or close enough to you have you can't be called a boomer. That's ah, uh, I'm right there with exactly. you. And, <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career? I, I like working in the industry. Um, working at the firm definitely helped me out a lot, and it gave me the uh, the knowledge that I have. But uh, not having billable hours is probably the greatest thing from a stress standpoint that has ever happened to me. And I, and I, I'm glad that I'm working in industry. Amen. And I have people like cross border solutions or the firms to, to help me when, uh, when I get stuck on stuff. It, who also don't operate on the billable hours model, because that just leads to misery. Uh, people define success in different ways. What's your definition? To me be, being happy and all, a lot of things come with that, but, uh, I success. I, I live, I have two, two young daughters. I'm very happy in my, my job, my life. I work with people that I like. Um, I make a good living and I think uh, being happy to me is, is the biggest success. Amen to that, sir. Matthew, we have to run from here, but uh, I want to thank you for the time that you've given us. This is a real treat. That's all the time we have for today, but what a great conversation. Is this guy busy or what? Hear more first-person accounts about transfer pricing. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll hook you into the lives of transfer pricing executives every week. I'm Matthew DeMello, and I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Our executive producer, Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom, writes our scripts. If you're looking for interesting ways to fill up your time in quarantine, join us back here next week when we dive into more exciting transfer pricing topics. I mean, what else do you have to do? Be well. Be well.